Welcome to the Simple Church Podcast. We'd like to thank you for taking a few moments out of your day to listen to what God is doing here in Reynoldsburg, Ohio. We hope today's message will be encouraging and uplifting to you. To learn more about Simple Church, maybe you'd like to be our guest for a service, please visit our website at www.simplechurchohio.com. There you'll find more information about us, location, service times, and even online giving opportunities. And now, here's today's message. media sites, hashtag church in your PJs. That's, uh, that's always a, a great option as well. Listen, how many of you just by, I, I can't always see you because there's these blinding lights here. Um, how many of you by sound like roller coasters? Let me, let me hear the coaster. All right. Uh, let's name the best places for coasters. Where, where are we going? Cedar Point. Are there any others? Kings Island. Any others? Universal has some really good ones. The Incredible Hulk has some, some great stuff going on there. Um, favorite coaster? Let's hear it. Maverick. Maverick. Okay. Cedar. All right. Anything else? Millennium. All right. Millennium Force. You go so high on that thing, you just stop hearing the park. It's just wind. Just wind up there. Um, I think that's that's going to be a great analogy for talking about faith today and kind of the journey that we're going to be on. Now, Pastor Aaron told me what time to start. Uh, he didn't tell me what time to finish. Um, so is everybody good for one? Is one all right? Is that, is that a good stop? The pot roast won't be burnt by one. It should still be fine. And you guys are always so welcoming when I come and talk, except for Kalisa, who already threatened to smear strawberries on my white shirt. I don't know <laughs> why, but that's okay, because the Jesus in me still loves you. So, oh, see, I know, right? I want to talk about what makes a, for you coaster enthusiasts, what makes a roller coaster amazing? It's, it's that you have the combination of what, the highs? You get this really high peak, right? And then you get this, this near-death experience. You, you get the lows. And in the midst of all that, there's always some twists, there's some turns, there's some harsh banks, there's sometimes some loops. You know, but there's never just a plain, just straight, flat ride. That's like the choo-choo train ride at the mall. Nobody likes that. That's not fun. But the you know what, that, that roller coaster experience, the ups and the downs, the twists, the turns, sometimes the loops, sometimes uh, that sensation of, you know, you've gone this whole journey and you're right back where you started from. I can't think of a better analogy for faith than that roller coaster experience. So just, I think one quick reminder, I wanted to make sure everybody's aware of 21 days of prayer this Thursday, 7 to 8 p.m. We should still be on. And with that, I want to talk to you now today about this, you asked for it, lessons in faith, this roller coaster journey. And for me, and, and to paint this picture, I'm going to try to kind of sandwich two stories in my life uh, onto kind of a little bit of a roller coaster. And we've got seven really good nuggets of information I want to give you. And it's going to be a, a scripture every day uh, and some, some real stories that you know, come into play here along the way. Uh, and I think the reason that some of you probably asked to hear this is you have that same inner struggle that a lot of us have or have had, but we don't want to talk about it. And it's that struggle of, hey, I know I'm supposed to be a believer, trying to believe in God, but sometimes I find myself walking in doubt. 
And if you would listen to religious people, religious people would tell you that your faith journey is supposed to look like this. It gets stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger until you die and you go to heaven and you're already up there because your faith is so strong. But that's not reality for most of us. The reality for most of us, the reality for me, the reality for pastors that I'm friends with has been it looks a lot more like a roller coaster where you have this amazing high and then all of a sudden something's happening in life and you come dashing down and then you thought you were back on path but and then there's this twist this way and then there's a turn that way and sometimes you feel like you're looping in the same place and this journey is never just a straight path up to where it always gets better and better and better. And in those twists, in those turns, in those loops, in those hard banks, in those fast and sudden drops, we sometimes feel that doubt. And yet we know that God's word says without faith it is impossible to please God. And I think one of the other challenges that we have is particularly in, in modern Western culture in America, we kind of live in a society that fosters cynicism and doubt, doesn't it? I mean, there's not a lot working outside the church world to really strengthen your faith uh, along the way. There's a lot of cynicism. There's a lot of doubt. We doubt our heroes. We doubt our political leaders, sometimes for good reason. We doubt uh, the referees in the NBA. We, we doubt uh, the sincerity uh, of uh, LeBron James. Is he going to stay on the team? Is he going to go to the Lakers? We, we, we doubt uh, the ability of Michigan to ever beat Ohio State again. I mean, there's a lot of things. There's a lot of things that, that were doubt and cynicism kind of come into play, and, and it happens in our faith too. But, so just know that I feel that, that, that pain. Uh, I feel that journey. I feel that struggle. And I'm, I'm going to preface today's whole message with, I'm going to start with a, a real story from my life and, and ministry. And uh, at the beginning, I'm going to take you through this faith journey, and I'm going to end with a real story from my life. And as I come back to the ending, Phil's going to come up and get on the keyboard. He doesn't know that yet, but in Jesus' name, he's going to come back up and get on the keyboard uh, when I say that uh, last little part there, because it's going to tie this whole thing back together. Um, let me just give you a good working average Joe definition of faith. Let's take all the theological weirdness out of it and just say this, that faith is simply when God takes a dream within our hearts and turns it into a reality. And that's, that's an, an easy place for things to start with. Faith is when God takes a dream within our hearts and turns it into a reality. And I want to take you into the scripture. So if you've got your Bible or Bible app, uh, let's pull that out. We're going to go into Mark chapter 9, uh, verses 17 through 24. And I just want to kind of preface because I think the, the guy that's in this, this scripture, this is me at times. It's probably you at times. Uh, and if you're, if you're not a believer in here, you haven't crossed that threshold of faith, maybe you can really see some of yourself in this today as well. So I want to take you into the scripture. Uh, this is what's happening. We're going to set this scene up. Jesus is on the scene. He's teaching. He's ministering. He's moving throughout the villages and cities and the sideways and, and the highways and byways, and he's doing his thing, right? And um, in this crowd, on this event today in Mark 9, this man walks up, and he says this to Jesus. He says, teacher. I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit. Now, anybody with a teenager can relate to that. I mean, does anybody have is anybody with teenagers at home? 
You know what happens. Like, you had a sweet little girl, you had a sweet little boy, and all of a sudden teenage years hit, and that evil spirit comes in. And you're like, whoa, what happened, right? This evil spirit of teenagerism. And, and, and even if your, your teenage boy uh, doesn't act evil, it smells like there's a demon in there. I don't know, right? I don't know what happens to the room or... It's just crazy. So this man is having the situation where his son is possessed of an evil spirit. And he goes on to say to Jesus, it, this spirit has robbed him of his speech. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth. He gnashes his teeth. He becomes rigid. I, I asked your disciples to drive the spirit out, but they could not. Now we have a conundrum. We have a pickle. We have a real situation where there's real pain in a real father's life. And Jesus says this. He says this to his disciples, unbelieving generation. Jesus called his disciples unbelieving. Wow. Let's go on to see what else he says. He says, how long will I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. And when the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy to the ground. He started to convulse. He fell to the ground. He rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? His dad said, from childhood. He says, how often does it throw? He says, it has often tried to throw him into the fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help. If you can, says Jesus, everything is possible for him who believes. That's what Jesus says. But listen to what the man says back. This is, this is where I've been. I do believe, says Jesus, his friend, the father of this boy. He says, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. Now, isn't that a picture of where we are sometimes in our own life? I do believe in God. I want to believe in God. I want to have this, this amazing experience where the promises that I see in the Word of God come to reality in my life. I want that, but you know what? I need help with my unbelief. And we have this inner war, this inner struggle between belief and unbelief, between faith and doubt, between con confirmed acceptance and cynicism. And that's, if we see this picture in the Bible, we can probably relate. So how many of you can say, just show of hands or make a noise, say, I relate to this dad. Sometimes I just need help with my unbelief. Yeah. We can relate to this father's heart cry. So I want to give you kind of a Bible definition as well of faith. Let's go to Hebrews 11, 1, 2. Hebrews sets up a great picture, and we're going to kind of just journey through Hebrews this morning. I'm going to take you through kind of seven real good faith nuggets of information that are going to help us kind of wrap this all together. Hebrews says in 11 verses 1 and 2, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. So the whole chapter of uh, 11 in the book of Hebrews is kind of called the Hall of Faith. It gives these stories of triumph. It gives these stories of these great ancients and how faith brought them through and how faith caused them to accomplish mighty things. And we're going to start there uh, also now with my story. This was in uh, just a few years ago in a little city of Roanoke, Virginia. And I was a youth pastor at one of the larger Pentecostal churches in town. And it was summertime, and I was relatively new on the job. And therefore, that meant I kind of had to fill in and do a lot of different things. And this is, this is a real situation where I saw the power of faith kind of do something amazing, in the, and, and that's faith in God. 
And I got a phone call at the office one day, and it was a family I didn't even know, but they were well-known in the city. Uh, and I heard this story, and this is what happened. There was a 17-year-old boy. His name was Gage Duncan. And his father was part of Duncan Toyota. And Gage Duncan had taken his car out for a Sunday drive and lost control of the car, probably going too fast. And the car skids off the road. And he twists and turns, and there's a huge, massive oak tree on the side of the road, which is a common sight in the hills of Virginia. And not only does he hit the tree at a high speed, but the car twists and turns in such a way that the driver's side door is what impacts the tree. And so he, at full force, or probably 50 miles an hour or more, the car smashes into the tree and Gage smashes into the tree with it. And his head takes the full brunt of the impact. And I didn't know Gage. I didn't know the Duncan family. I knew Duncan Toyota. They didn't come to our church. But they were friends of friends who went to our church. And so I'm the youth pastor, and this kid's a youth, so what does the friend do? They call the parents and say, hey, our youth pastor is available to you and would love to come and minister and pray. Okay, so let's get the picture. I get a phone call about somebody I don't know and a family I don't know, but they're at Roanoke Memorial Hospital, and the doctors have given this prognosis. Your son is probably at this point going to be no better than a brain-dead vegetable for the rest of his life. He will never recover, and then that's if he survives the night. His feet, or if you're familiar with kind of medical terminology, his feet had already started to posture, where instead of being up in bed, they just kind of dropped like this. His body was completely withdrawing. They, the doctors were telling Daddy Duncan, don't expect him to live through the night, but if he does, you're going to have to find a full-time facility that'll take care of somebody that has no mental capacity because he will be a vegetable the rest of his life. And that's the diagnosis. That's the prognosis. That's the outcome that was given to this family. And I come into the situation. I come into this, this hospital room to a frantic mother and a frantic father who themselves don't walk in the same level of faith and their son didn't go to our church and, and, and they're, they're distraught and the doctors have basically just said, it's, go ahead, it's time to go ahead and give your son up. One way or the other, you're going to give him up to death or you're going to give him up as a vegetable the rest of his life. <clears throat> and they asked me to pray. And in that moment, Hebrews 11, verses 1 and 2 came to life. Faith is the substance of what we hope for. It is the certainty of what we don't see. And God took a dream and, and compassion just rose in my heart and I laid down literally down on the side of the bed and I put my hands on Gage and began, began to pray and pray and pray and time just kind of ceased to matter. And I think in all in all, that was about 40 straight minutes of just praying and worshiping and seeking Jesus over Gage's body. No response from him, obviously. And tears come into my eyes and I feel something burning in my heart like I've never felt before. And I realized it was the gift of faith. And Forty minutes goes by, and I leave the hospital, and nothing looks different. Nothing seems different. Parents are still distraught, but something in me said, this is going to be all right. I go home, I go to bed, wake up on Monday morning, and I get a phone call, 
and a text message of a picture. Because that morning, Gage not only didn't die that night, he sat up in bed, he turned to the side of the bed, and he asked to go to the bathroom. And the, and the dad was so amazed, he took a picture of his son sitting on the side of the bed, sent it to me second. He sent it first to the doctor, and in his good Southern Virginia vernacular said, hey, doc, this don't look like no vegetable to me. <laughs> and over the next six uh, months, we saw Gage uh, not only not die, but he didn't have brain damage. He, he was able to walk again. He was able to talk again. He went through physical rehab and kind of had to relearn some things because a smack like that on the head can cause you to have to reset a lot. And he's had some struggles along, uh, with life along the way, but I saw God just step into the situation and give faith and hope where it was needed. And I, that's kind of the start of the roller coaster ride for me. So this is the high point, right? Let's, let's go ahead and continue on to this journey. We're going to talk about some lessons in faith that you can take out of Hebrews. Uh, lesson number one, and this is from Abel's lesson. How many of you know the story of Cain and Abel in the Bible? Let's, let's talk about Abel's lesson in faith. Abel's lesson in faith was to put God first. So that's our first golden nugget, our first truth for today. Put God first. You know, for a lot of us, um, we have a relationship with God, and I'm going to be honest with you, in the South, everyone's a Christian. I mean, it doesn't matter. Uh, you're just a Christian because it's a Southern thing to do. You don't have to go to church. You don't have to read your Bible. You don't have to live like a Christian. You don't even have to talk like a Christian, but if you have a membership, a membership at the church, you're considered a Christian. It's just kind of a weird thing. It doesn't happen up North as much, but it's just, it's weird down there, that's, that's, but that's my people. I love them. It's okay, but the reality is um, if if God is just somewhere on your list, then I'm not sure we really understand what it means to put God first. From, from God's perspective, if he's not at the top of your list, then he's really not on your list at all. Because God doesn't want to be second place to anything in our lives. God wants to be first. God desires that to be first. Salvation is not joining a church. Joining a church is a, is a good thing to do. Salvation is not even reading the Bible. There's atheists that read the Bible. There's Buddhists that read the Bible. Salvation is when you put God as priority number one in your life. That is salvation. And so our, our, this first nugget of truth is so important for us. In Hebrews 11, uh, verse 4, here's what we learn about what Abel did and why his sacrifice was accepted instead of Cain's. Hebrews 11:4 says, By faith... Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as a righteous man. When God spoke well of his offerings, and by faith, he still speaks even though he's dead. This is, this is the big deal here, uh, and this is part of what the truth is. The first place thing is a big deal to God. Him being first in our lives is a big deal. Let me show you uh, even from Genesis. Let's go back into the book of Genesis and look at what Abel and Cain did. Genesis ver, uh, chapter 4, starting at verse 3, says this, and these three words are very important. Somebody repeat this after me. In the course. In the course of time. Well, what does in the course of time mean? In the sweet by and by. As things kept going in life. As I started to harvest my crops. And that's what Cain did. He harvested. He grew fruits and vegetables. He had a great garden, I'm sure. Better Homes and Gardens would put his garden right on the cover page. But in the course of time, 
as he had produced harvest after harvest, he decided later to bring some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel brought fat portions from some of the, say this after me, firstborn. Firstborn. What is the significance of the firstborn? This was first priority. The firstborn of his flock. And the Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering. Listen, both Cain and Abel gave what they had. The difference was in the priority of what they gave that made all the difference. Cain gave in the course of time as he was sure he had enough. I got enough so I can give God a little bit from the middle of the pack. Abel said, mm, this is my firstborn. I don't even have a secondborn yet, but God, this is yours. Abel brought God the firstborn. So here's my hashtag today. If you want a hashtag for the message, you're going to tag that you're in here on Facebook. Hashtag this, priority proves worship. Priority proves worship. I can tell what you worship in life by what priority it has in your life. We have a lot of people in America that say they worship God, but he's so low in the priority. What they really worship is NBA. What they really worship is their marriage. What they really worship is their career. What they really worship is their education. What they really worship is whatever becomes their major priority. Your priority proves worship. Same thing with even tithing and offering. It shows order in life. So when we give of our first fruits, we're proving the priority of God, which is indeed worship. Golden nugget number two, we're going to learn from Enoch's lesson. Let's go to the second point for today and look at Enoch's story from the book of Hebrews. And here's Enoch's lesson. Learn to walk with God. Hebrews 11 verse 5 tells us Enoch's story. And it says, by faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. How cool is that? Listen, I've heard about parties where there's like VIP lists. You know, oh, you can get on the VIP list and come, come to this, this party, right? But God has a real exclusive VIP list. Pretty much all of us are only going to get to see him through, we got to die, all right? Enoch was so chill with God, and God was like, dude, I like you so much. Don't even die. Just, go, just come on up here. VIP, VIP. And he VIP'd Enoch. Enoch never died. Death never took Enoch, and he, hit, and he heads to heaven. This is an amazing picture. Why is that? He did not experience death, going on in verse 5. He could not be found because God had taken him away. Before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. Well, how did Enoch please God? Let's go back to Genesis and find out. Let's go to Genesis chapter 5, verse 24. Enoch pleased God by doing this. This is so simple. Enoch walked with God. God. Then he was no more because God took him. He didn't even die. If This is the reality of this thing. If you want to have faith in a thing, you've got to get close to that thing. If you want to have faith in your wife, faith in your husband, you've got to get close to them, right? That's the reality. What you get close to is what you have faith in. 
Every one of us have an amazing amount of faith with the chairs in this room because we are comfortable with them. We sit in them. They, they take on our blessed assurance Sunday after Sunday. Nobody tests it first, right? Did anybody come in and go, oh, I'm not sure if that chair is really a chair. Is it really going to hold me up? Or did you just come in and plop right down because your faith level was high, you're ready to go, right? I mean, that's the reality. We look at that, whatever we're close to, is what we have faith in. It works with cars, it works with spouses, and it works with God. When you get close to and you walk with God, you will discover that he is an incredibly, incredibly faithful God. And that is not to say that, tr uh, that trouble and tough times won't come. They, they will. They definitely will. But in the midst of that, you find out the incredible faithfulness of God. Does anybody ever have a, uh, anybody had a dog that has gone through any type of training? Like dog training, you had dog training. They do this amazing thing. Have you ever seen the dog training that happens? They have this great process. And, and I, I love this picture because this is a picture of faith for us. You know, if you take your average dog and you go outside, they just run everywhere. And I see people constantly walking dogs or in dog parks. And I don't think they're walking the dog as much as the dog's walking them. So the dog's like taking off and they're just chasing after him and trying to catch up with a leash. And that is not really walking the dog. That is the dog walking you. If a dog is trained, what they'll do is they'll take that dog into training and they put this, this collar on the dog. And it doesn't really hurt the dog, but it definitely lets them know, mm, I'm going to take oxygen away from you if you don't do what I say. And they call it a choke collar. And then literally, it's very simple. They don't yell at the dog. They don't beat the dog. They don't shout. Very calm. They put that collar on and they start walking. And if the dog doesn't move, they're, ah, 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 ah. all of a sudden the dog realizes, I better move or this isn't going to work. And then when the guy stops, if the dog keeps going, guess what else happens? Ah, oh, oh, better stop. And through that training process, do you know what the dog learns very quickly? I better walk with this dude and I better not walk when he says not to. And so instantly you have this picture. The dog will be still and look at the, the guy, the trainer. And as he takes a step, a well-trained dog starts to step. And when he stops, a well-trained dog stops. What a picture of what it means to walk with God. Your walk with God should be that close where you're close to him and without a choke collar, because God's not going to put a choke collar on us. But when he moves, you move. When he stops, you stop because you know him and you're close to him. And that lesson from Enoch is that we walk with God. Uh, lesson number three comes from Noah. Let's go to Golden Nugget for Noah. Here's the reality for Noah's life in Hebrews 11, verse 7. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not seen in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. You'll never know real faith until you act on the word of God that's in your life. Which means you need to have the word of God actively pouring into your life. James, uh, James chapter 2, verse 22 says, You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. If you look at Noah's time, there was no concept of rain. There was no concept of an ark. There was no concept of a massive flood that would take away the, the entire civilization. And God comes along and says, build an ark. Noah's like, what's an ark? It's going to rain. What's rain? I'm flooding everybody. What is a flood that's going to kill everybody? And Noah said, you know what, God, you said it, so I'm going to do it. He took the dimensions. He spent years building this ark. And keep in mind, that's years of ridicule. 
Some of us have had the experience where we didn't walk with Jesus all our life, and then all of a sudden we made a decision to walk with Jesus, and the people that weren't on that same path with us, that didn't cross the threshold of faith, they didn't quite understand, and sometimes they kind of mocked, or they kind of had some things to say. Oh, you're just going over there with them church people now. You'll be out of that soon. But Noah acted on God's word instead. Lesson number four comes from Abraham. And there's only seven of these. We're getting there quickly. Lesson number four. Let's look at Abraham's picture. Abraham waited patiently. Abraham waited patiently. This is a frustration and a blessing for us. But I want to give you a real golden nugget here for this, this lesson. God is notoriously patient. God is notoriously patient. He is not the slight bit interested in our instant gratification. And that is where so many of us struggle. We expect instant gratification. I'm going to prove it to you. How many of you have yelled at the microwave because the popcorn took too long to cook? How, let's be honest. I, I want to see. I see some head nods. Some of y'all don't want to admit you get frustrated at, at how long it takes for microwaves to cook food. But we do. We get so frustrated. How many of you have attempted to post something on social media or send a text message, and if it takes more than 10 seconds, you get frustrated? Oh, why is this taking so long? Raise your hand. I want to see. Yeah, instant gratification. Listen, this device that is smaller than the comcorder they had in the original Star Trek, is sending your signal to space and then back down to Earth to wherever the server is that you want it to go. That is magnificent technological advances, and we get frustrated if it takes more than five seconds to go to space and back. We are instant gratification people serving a notoriously patient God. Our expector is diametrically opposed to God's process. Hebrews 6.15 tells us this. After waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. There is something about the development of our character that is far more important to God than is our comfort. And God will take you purposefully through some crazy stuff because in the end he knows what it will do for your character even in the absence of your comfort. Isn't that an amazing thing to learn? Hebrews 10, 37 and 38 say this, for in just a very little while he who is coming will come and will not delay but my righteous one will live by faith and if he shrinks back I will not be pleased with him. Listen, let me exhort you in the midst of that discomfort, in the midst of that character development, in the midst of waiting patiently, in the midst of learning that God is not your instant gratifier, in the midst of learning that he is notoriously patient, hang on. Just hang on. Hang on a little while longer. Be hopeful a little while longer. Be encouraged a little while longer. Be expectant a little while longer. Lesson number five comes from Moses. Moses, his lesson is this, and this is a hard one for us in America. Don't trust your feelings. 
kind of unexpected. I know you're thinking, oh, Moses has a lot of big lessons. Remember, he had the Red Sea and everybody walked through and he had the golden tablets and Charlton Heston hurled them on the side of the mountain. And it was an amazing experience. But here's our lesson today from Moses. Don't trust your feelings. Here's what it says in Hebrews about Moses in chapter 11, verse 24. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. Faith says, I'm not going to follow my feelings. Your feelings will lie to you. Your feelings will lie to you. They, they really will. If you don't believe me, go to the Cheesecake Factory. <laughs> Look at that cheesecake that is larger than your abdomen. That now costs $12. And you will be convinced by your feelings in that moment that even after the gargantuan meal you've eaten, I got room for that. Bring me the $12 giant slice of cheesecake, and I'm going to compact that into my gullet and somehow expect my pants to fit fine tomorrow. <laughs> we do this, right? We trust our feelings, but the greatest enemy of your faith is your feelings. Too many of us in this culture make major life decisions based on feelings. I know this because I watched Jerry Springer. I've seen them on Maury. I've seen them on Cops. We make so many decisions. I've seen them on Judge Judy and Divorce Court. We make decisions by feelings, not even by faith, not even by logic or reason or instinct. If you think about it, the common leopard in the jungle or the average penguin in Antarctica demonstrate better logic in their mating choices than many human beings. Boom, that's a mic drop moment just for you now. It's true, we go by our feelings. But 2 Corinthians verse, uh, chapter 5, verse 7 says, We live by faith, not by sight. I'm not going to go by what I see, but what I believe in my heart. Lesson number six comes from Joshua. And I remember the old Sunday school song, Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, Jericho. Jericho. And then somehow that turned into peas and veggie tails, and they're walking around a wall, and it was interesting. I learned when I pray, and I want you to learn it too, that whatever you pray for, just go ahead and right then and there in that moment, thank God for it. Because that's a demonstration of faith. I'm thanking God for what I just prayed for, even though I don't have it. Hebrews 11.30 says this, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell. When did they fall? After the people had marched around them for seven days and they sang songs of praise for the victory even before the walls fell. This is our picture of faith. We are thanking God. We are appreciative of God. We are, we are in constant agreement with God and his word even when what's around us doesn't look like the promise. That's reality. This reality conflicts with faith. 
And sometimes some of us are in the middle of that conflict. We want the faith thing, but the reality thing stinks so bad. And the struggle between the two is where so many of us find our lives on a daily basis. This conflict. But in the midst of that, if we begin to thank God for what he has promised and thank God for the thing that's coming, even though it's not here, what an amazing effect it has on our faith. Philippians Chapter 4, verse 6 says this, Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer, by petition, and with thanksgiving. Listen, if you see that word thanksgiving in your Bible, go ahead and underline it, highlight it. On the Bible app, choose the marker highlight on there. Highlight that word thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Present your request to God. We are literally instructed to thank God when we give him our request in prayer. Listen, if you're getting anything out of today, I want you to know that we're learning from these ancients. And if you've read the rest of the chapter in Hebrews, the first part that I just went through, those first six lessons are great success stories. By faith, Abraham. By faith, Moses. By faith, Enoch. By faith, Joshua. And we have these great success stories. But if you're real diligent and in your Bible study this week, you're like, hey, I'm going to read the rest of this faith chapter. I'm going to go through the rest of Hebrews. Let me tell you what you're going to find. Because no longer do we hear about all the success stories and victories, but now we hear stories of where it never worked out. And the book gives them a shout out too. Which leads us into lesson number seven and our final lesson for the day. And please, write this down. Put this on your social media. Instagram it, snap it, hashtag it, tweet it. Because this is the hard one for all of us. God always does the right thing. God always does the right thing. I started the message today on a faith roller coaster and I told you about Gage and I told you about the miracle that God came through and saved this boy from dying and being a vegetable to where he was literally sitting up and walking within days of a massive brain accident. And over here, five, six years later, after that amazing experience, and that was rare. It's not like youth pastors go pray and see healings and miracles every day in hospitals. I mean, we started to have people show up at the church just to have us pray for them because we saw God doing some amazing things. And then over here, my wife's cancer returned for the third time. And we prayed and prayed and spoke the word of God and prayed and believed. And I had everybody pray. She was on everyone's prayer list. Todd Bentley prayed for her. We had, we had healing speakers pray for her. We had people that were in all types of church movements from Southern Baptist to Bethel praying for her. And yet a little over a year ago, she left this earth. And it rocked my world. And it was this slope on my faith. And it shook me in some ways. Phil, you want to come up here? And that's where some of us are too right now. 
rocked. Still recovering because the thing we asked for, the thing we wanted, we wanted the marriage to stay together. We wanted our child off drugs. We wanted her to live. And it doesn't happen the way we want. And that's when we have to somehow find the place to accept this truth that God always does the right thing. God should have healed him. God should have healed her. No, God always does the right thing. God should have done this for me. God should have taken me out of bankruptcy. God should have made me get that next job. No, God always does the right thing. Hebrews 11, verse 39 says this, says, these were all commended for their faith and yet none of them received what had been promised. God had planned something better. In the midst of your pain, in the midst of that unanswered prayer, if you will take this truth that God always does the right thing because he has something better planned. He has something better planned. Maybe like me, you prayed and it didn't work out the way you wanted it to. Maybe, maybe like me, you prayed for healing and you still lost your loved one. You still lost the house. You still lost the life that you had. I have a scripture I want to share with you to close this today. Isaiah 55, verses 8 through 9. This plan of mine is not what you would work out. Neither are my thoughts the same as yours. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than yours. My thoughts are higher than yours. God's ways are higher. God is good. And God always does the right thing. And Somewhere in the midst of this scripture, you can take comfort in the fact that sometimes God just knows things you don't know. And that's faith. I'm going to still trust him when I don't know. And I'm just thankful that there is a God who does know stuff I don't know. If your faith has never had a struggle, friend, I question how real it is. Because faith is proven real in the midst of the hell we experience in life. Your struggle doesn't scare God. After all, his ways are higher. Your doubt doesn't scare God. It doesn't rock him off his throne. It's okay to have it. And here's the reality. If you're still trying to figure God out, figure his plan out, figure out why you didn't get what you want, <laughs> let me help you with this. If all of God could fit in your brain, then he's not a very big God. So let God be God and trust that he is good. Let's not limit God by our own personal hopes, our own desires, our own expectations. I said Bill was coming up here. I said I got Chris. This dude rocks. I love it. This dude's amazing. That was my roller coaster of faith. How many of you have been on something similar? Can we just very respectfully have a moment of God time? And we do that here by asking you to bow your head, close your eyes. It just personalizes. It's just between you and God, no one's looking around. There's no pressure on you to perform or not perform. It, it creates that moment where you and your mind and your heart can focus on what God's saying to you through this message. So if you would be so respectful and kind, 
is to close your eyes, bow your head. And I want to talk to two groups in here. First, I want to talk to the, the Christian. You've, you've crossed that threshold of faith, but if reality was out there, you would be willing to admit that you're struggling with doubt. You're struggling with the expectations that never came. You're struggling with the fact that it's been tough. And today, you, you really want to put this lesson into effect that God does the right thing and you can just be thankful that God knows stuff you don't know. And in the midst of whatever chaos you've been dealing with, letting your faith take you to dwell in the shelter of his wings. If that's you today, would you just, in the count of three, just raise your hand. One, two, three, because I want to pray for you. One, two, three, raise those hands. Thank you. Let's put those hands down. I just want to pray. Father, as you've spoken to us today, clearly through your word, we can trust you even when we don't get the outcome we want because you have planned something better. So I pray, God, that you would comfort those believers in here, those men and women, boys and girls, young people, old people, all of us that are dealing with the struggle of life to rest in the shadow of your wings, that you are comfort, you are good, even when things don't work the way we want, that we can hold on to you because we know that you have planned something better. Maybe for those also, I'm just going to pray real quick while the every head's still bowed, every eye closed. You've not crossed that threshold of faith, or maybe because of the circumstances of life, you walked away. And you would say today, I understand that faith doesn't mean I won't struggle, and that God is